Good morning again. Uh, that song that we closed with, It Is Well, um, it's, by, it's by this church called Bethel, and they, um, or that version of it is, and they have an instrumental album. And for those of you that don't know, I, uh, in between being at my previous church and coming on staff here, there were five months. And uh, during those five months, I substitute taught in the Roseville City School Districts mainly. And I spent a month uh, with a fourth grade class uh, right towards the end. And they would come in after lunch, and I would play for them uh, that instrumental album. And it was just an utter peace as they read silently. And uh, I heard in the background worship music, and it was just really, really cool. Uh, so outside of that being a deeply spiritual moment, it has... Uh, I just wanted to let you know that that song is really cool. Uh, <laughs> if that makes any sense. It's, it's not just, yeah, anyways. Uh, so there you go. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> uh, does this picture mean anything to you? Uh, oh, man, this is the scariest picture in my life. Uh, I've been wearing contacts for almost 20 years, and... Um, which I know for some of you may be like, well, I've been wearing glasses for more than 20 years, uh, not to give away your age. But um, uh, this picture is just, uh, I don't mind the one that's far away where they test your, uh, you know, far away vision. But I really get scared when they have the, sh- the close-up vision because if that one goes away, then I'm stuck with bifocals. And I don't think they make contacts for that. Uh, but I think it's amazing when they put this machine, uh, this machine is called a, a, fer, a ferropter. I had to look at my notes for that, a ferropter. And uh, I, I, love, I love it when they click, you know, and they give you the one, two, and then you're like, oh, hold on, you got to go back. And they're like, I know, one, two, and then you think, oh, I think one, one, for sure one. Uh, but it is, the, it is an amazing moment as, as you pick the right one, two, three, four, you know, as you pick the right lenses and your vision slowly gets clearer and clearer and clearer. I really like it when they start at like ground zero and you're blind again and then they start moving it up and it just gets clearer and clearer and clearer. As we look at, uh, as we continue to look at the Gospel of John, we encounter a moment where we see a number of groups whose vision of who Jesus is gets clearer and clearer. Uh, Each group is going to take a step, a step in some direction, but regardless of the direction, they understand that their vision of who Jesus is is getting a little bit clearer. And I hope for all of us, we can admit in our life that we need a, a clearer vision of who Jesus is. We need a ferropter uh, for our spiritual lenses. And so before we look to God's word and before we stop talking about eye doctor visits, uh, would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you uh, for your word, uh, that it instructs us and that it truly is a light. God, we pray that you would illuminate our hearts God, that we would find deep joy and peace uh, with who you are. God, that you would make our vision clear. In your son's name we pray, amen. Amen. Uh, Before we get into the scriptures, we want to take a quick look at where we're at. Our passage is going to begin with telling us that we are in the middle of the feast. And the feast of what? The feast of the booths. And the Feast of the Booths was uh, um, one of the three major celebrations, uh, pilgrimage celebrations that happened in 
uh, Jerusalem. It was a pilgrimage festival, and so Jews from all over would travel to Jerusalem uh, to be in town for this festival. Uh, they were commanded to go dwell in booths. In fact, I had, um, I don't know how you feel about this, but I had a friend uh, at my previous church whose parents would sometimes dwell in booths to celebrate the festival of uh, the, the Feast of the Booths, which is different, but it's cool. I mean, we dwell in booths sometimes when we sit in tents, but I don't know if it's always spiritual. Um, That was supposed to be a joke, but uh, nobody laughed. It's all right. (laughs) Listen, it's a lot of jokes that aren't actually jokes. And so uh, anyways, uh, Kristen can tell you more about that. Um, She's my wife. Uh, Anyways, and uh, so they were supposed to dwell in booths because it caused them to remember God's provision for them in the wilderness. You remember the Israelites, uh, after leaving uh, Egypt, uh, they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they celebrated the Feast of the Booths uh, to remember God's provision, to remember God's provision. And as they are celebrating this booth, we're going to... Uh, bo- Booth. As celebrating the Feast of the Booths, uh, they are going to begin to see how Jesus comes into greater focus. And so, uh, with those two prefaces, would you read with me uh, the Gospel of John, verse, uh, chapter 7, starting in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? So Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority speaks, uh, seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The crowd answered, You have a demon. Who is trying to kill you? Jesus answered them, I did one work and you marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath a man receives circumcision so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances but judge with right judgment. Some of the people of Jerusalem therefore said, Is not this the man whom they seek to kill? And here he is speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? But we know where this man comes from, and where the Christ appears, no one will know where he comes from. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, You know me, and you know where I come from. But I have not come on my own accord. He who sent me is true, and him you do not know. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? And so this morning, we're going to look at three groups And if you look at your sermon notes, you'll notice that there's two bonus groups, but don't go to those bonus groups yet. There's just three groups, three groups, three groups that see a picture of Jesus and their their vision of who Jesus is begins begins to become clearer and clearer. Uh, Jesus is speaking about an incident that occurred back in chapter five, and he's referencing this time when he healed a man on the Sabbath, and he's talking about how 
the, the Jews would have circumcision happen on the Sabbath if it happened to be the eighth day. And so he's drawing this parallel. And so we need to keep in, in mind uh, this story from John chapter 5. Uh, Jesus uh, healed a man who was uh, lame, who had been waiting by the pool of Bethesda for 38 years. He had a physical disability, and he had been waiting by this pool to be healed. And Jesus healed him, and, but it was on the Sabbath. And so the, Jews, the Jewish authorities were, had issue with this. And so it says, in, after he heals him on the Sabbath, it says in John chapter 5, verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his Father, making himself equal to God. So this is the, this is the, um, the, the background where this picture of who Jesus is begin, be, begins to become clearer and clearer. And the first group uh, that we encounter is the Jews, uh, the Jewish authorities. The Jewish authorities that are present at the Feast of the Booths. And they come with certain expectations about, about who the Messiah would be. And their expectations don't line up with who Jesus is. The first expectation is that they expect Jesus to come from their line. They expect him to come as one that's learned the same way he's learned. Uh, it's, uh, it's a rather uh, telling uh, passage where they say, how is it that this man has learning when he's never studied? Uh, the Greek word there, grammata, can mean either, uh, either that, he doesn't that he doesn't have learning or that he can't read. It's a pretty audacious claim. Uh, Jesus is in the temple teaching with authority, and so here the Jews are saying, how can this man uh, teach us when he hasn't been properly instructed? Or perhaps they even are saying, how can this man teach us when he doesn't even know his letters? He, he's not who they thought he would come from. And he's not teaching with an authority that they know. And not only that, but their, their expectation, uh, Jesus' teaching came from the one who sent him. It didn't come from them. It didn't come from them. He was ex he, uh, the Messiah was expected to come from the, from the Jewish authorities, and yet that's not who Jesus, who Jesus was. J. Ramsey Michaels uh, states in his commentary, the very first word addressed to Jesus in this gospel was rabbi. So the reader, the reader of John, is meant to see Jesus as a teacher, and yet we're presented with the situation where the Jews clearly don't see him that way. It's interpreted as teacher. Jesus himself had even shared with the Jews, the Galilean ones at least, his vision of the Jewish scriptures that no one would be left uninstructed, but that they will all be taught by God. Those who have learned from God, he added, God being understood as the Father, would come, to know, would come to Jesus in faith. Therefore, the comment that he himself was uninstructed only betrays the ignorance of the Jewish authorities. The picture of who Jesus is for these Jewish authorities is coming into focus. And it's not who they expected him to, to be. It's not who they expected him to be. And if you know the end of of, John, of, of the Gospels, yes, some, some of the Jewish authorities do come to faith in Jesus, but the majority don't. And the vision of who he is uh, comes into focus, and it's not who they wanted him to be. Jesus' test for his authenticity is that you're to believe in him. When he's presented as someone that they're not expecting, Jesus says, well, why don't you test it? Do the will of God 
and you'll see that what I'm teaching is true. He says in our passage, he says, my teaching is not mine, but it's him who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking on my own authority. Jesus says, I know I'm not who you expected me to be, but there's one way you can find out. Do God's will, and if it lines up with my teaching, then I am who I say I am. His test for authenticity is to believe in him. I think sometimes uh, we encounter the same test of authenticity in our own lives, do we not? We're encountered with a teaching of Jesus or a teaching of God as we read the scriptures and our hearts convicted and we say, that doesn't line up with what I want in my life. That doesn't line up with the timing that I have set up for my life. And we're still presented with this test of authenticity. God calls us to trust in him, to do his will. And as we do his will, we'll see that his teaching is true. Friends, brothers and sisters, I can, I can affirm for you that, that if you do the will of God, he will be true. God is true. I mentioned earlier that there were five months when I was substitute teaching. That was not my timing. But it was the Lord's timing because here I am, I get to be a pastor at the church I grew up at. I can trust God. I can trust his timing even when it doesn't line up with my preconceived notions. Finally, Jesus challenges their understanding of the law. Uh, he shows to them that, that they don't really understand what, what the purpose is. He says, I healed a man on the Sabbath, and you, you do circumcision on the Sabbath, and, and I'm healing a man's whole body, not just a part. He's challenging the Jewish leaders in their understanding of the law. So the first, the first group that we encounter are the Jews, and the Jews get a clearer picture of Jesus, and it's clear that Jesus is not who they expected him to be. And in fact, it's someone that they may not like. But regardless, they get a clearer picture of who he is. The second group that we encounter is the crowd. The crowd, the crowd thought Jesus was crazy. I mean, literally. And not crazy in like a, man, that's crazy awesome. Like crazy as in, you have a demon. That kind of crazy. Scholars agree that when the crowd says to Jesus that he has a demon, they're not accusing him of being possessed. Uh, they're accusing him of being crazy. They say, how can, you be, how can you think that your life is at risk? We don't even know who you are. The crowd thought he was nuts. But again, we remember what happened in John chapter 5. Jesus is not nuts. He's rightfully saying that they are trying to kill him. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only because he broke the Sabbath, but because he, he was calling God his Father, and that made him one with God. Jesus wasn't crazy, and yet the crowd thought he was. Jesus goes on to clarify his miracle. They don't understand what's happening. He says, what I did on the Sabbath, I'm teaching you something. I healed a whole man's body. You're more than willing to circumcise a boy on the eighth day if it's on the Sabbath in order to, to make him right with the law. 
And yet here I am healing a man on the Sabbath and you want to kill me. Your expectations are off. You want to keep this law, and you, but you don't understand what's behind the law. You don't understand what I'm doing is good. He clarifies what they sh- should be understanding and, and it, becomes, it, it begins to come into focus for the crowd. He tells them, you, uh, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Right judgment. There's a couple of things in here. He wants them to understand that he is indeed the miracle worker who healed on the Sabbath. That I, I am that man. Jesus is making the picture very clear. I am that man that they're seeking to kill. That's me. I did one sign. I healed a man on the Sabbath and you, you want to kill me. Secondly, he wants them to judge with right judgment. Again, throwing back to that idea that uh, do the Father's will and you'll see that what I'm teaching is true. She says, my teaching is not my own, but the one who sent me. The teaching that I give is much greater. The teaching that I give, yes, my authority doesn't come because I was raised as a rabbi in, in the Jewish schools, but my teaching comes because I come from the Father and the Father is true. He begins to come into focus. We too are challenged to judge with right judgment. You know, this group, they, they, had, they had different expectations of who Jesus was. Sometimes too, we come at it with different expectations. We want Jesus to do this for us. We want Jesus to do that for us. We, we pray to God asking him for, to change our circumstances rather than, rather than again seeking God's will and doing it and trusting in him. Finally, our third and final group. Again, pretend that there's not two bonus groups. Thank you for the three people that chuckled at that. <laughs> I thought it was clever, but I, don't, I guess it's not. Uh, anyways, uh, <laughs> the Jerusalemites. So at the end of the passage, there's uh, some, some people of Jerusalem, and they respond. Uh, the people of Jerusalem say, and, and really they kind of act for the reader. Uh, John uses this, uh, this, he writes the gospel in a way where we can understand that the, the people of Jerusalem are beginning to figure out who Jesus is and we ought to pay attention. Uh, they're responding in a way where we say, oh, that, that sounds correct. That sounds correct. So they say that, they say that yeah, he is the miracle worker. He is the one who did that miracle because they are seeking to kill him. But, but we know where he's from. And when the, when the Messiah comes, we're not supposed to know where he's from. Jesus, he's from Nazareth. Nothing good can come from Nazareth. But, so we know where Jesus is from. We know his mother and his father. We know his brothers. It's not what we're expecting. So Jesus, again, uses this opportunity to clarify who he is. And where indeed he came from. Jesus expresses to them that, that, his, that his origin is beyond human comprehension. That at the end of the day, he comes from the Father. They say, you know where I'm from, but you don't know the one who sent me. 
And implied there is that the one who sent Jesus is the Father. So it says, you know where where I'm physically from, but you don't know where my teaching comes from. You don't know who sent me here to do his will. And that's my Father. He takes it a step further. He says, not only am I the Messiah, but I fulfill everything that the Messiah required. And it's flipping the script on you. Jesus, his true origin reveals the one who sent him. His true origin reveals the one who sent him. We, the reader, are expected to begin to get a clearer picture of who Jesus is. That not only is he the Messiah, but he's sent by the Father in heaven. He's sent by the Father in heaven to do God's will. And we're to respond to that. So our two bonus groups. You may have picked up on it. Well, it's in the sermon notes, so I hope you did. (laughs) The last verse of our passage. Scripture tells us, Yet many of the people believed in him. They said, When the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man? I love that passage at at the end of chapter 6 of John, at the end of the Bread of Life passage, where Peter says, uh, Jesus asked the disciples, will you leave me too after many have left? And Jesus says, you alone have the words of life. To whom shall we go? The crowd says the same thing. They say, when the Christ appears, is he going to do more than this man has done? And as we read the scriptures and we see all the works that Jesus has done and all the works that God continues to do in our life, can we expect anything more from the God of the universe? The crowd, the crowd, or not the crowd, I'm sorry, many of the people begin to believe. So our final group is you and me. Is Jesus coming into focus for you? Is Jesus coming into focus for me? Part of the Christian life is this idea that every moment, every day, we ought to be chasing God more and more. Uh, One of my prayers, whether or not it's Uh, fulfilled in my life by my own actions is that I would know God better uh, tomorrow than I did today. Because I want Jesus to continue to come into greater focus. I want his picture and person to, to be of more worth to me tomorrow than it was today. I want to be able to worship him with more vigor and to know him more furiously uh, next week and next year than I did today. Not only do I not want to backslide, I don't want to get worse, I don't want to get distant from God, but I don't want to pretend like I've arrived and figured it all out. We ought to become, he ought to come into more focus. Uh, two ways that we can do that is we can, we can respond by doing God's will and trusting the teachings of Jesus. By responding just as Jesus has called these people in the passage to do the Father's will, and to see that his teaching is true. We can trust in him. We can trust that he won't lead us astray. It won't always look exactly how we pictured it in our mind, but that's the reality of living by faith. And when we live by faith, God lifts us up and he draws us close to himself and shows us that our life is happening in a way that is beautiful and perfect in his will, not our own. We can do God's will and see that Jesus' teaching will come into focus. And finally, we can judge with right judgment. 
Just as Jesus commanded uh, the people in this story at the Feast of the Booths to do, we can judge with right judgment and we can not come to Jesus with preconceived notions about what we want him to do in our life. We can come submitting our whole self, trusting in him and saying, my life is yours. Do with it what you will. And as we do that, who God is and who Jesus is and how the Spirit works in our life will come into greater focus. We'll have a better picture of who he is. As we do God's will, as we judge with right judgment, not coming with preconceived notions, but coming just for a relationship, that he'll come into greater focus. Uh, This morning we're going to respond with a song called Take a Moment. So I'd invite you as you sing those words, take a moment, that you would take a moment to reflect Is Jesus coming into greater focus in your heart, in your life, in your family, wherever that may be? So would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. We thank you that Jesus rules and reigns in our hearts and our life. God, we ask that he would come into greater focus that we would know the person and work of your son, Jesus. God, that we would do your will and we would see that you are true. God, that we wouldn't come with preconceived notions, but that we would lay our life at your feet, wanting you to be ours. So God, we ask that you would come into greater focus this morning. In your son's name we pray, amen.